Working Cows Podcast, Episode 266. This episode is brought to you by BASF, helping farmers do the biggest job on earth. Welcome to the podcast that gives producers a platform to discuss and share paradigm-challenging practices. Practices that have increased the effectiveness of their operation and the joy that their families have received from this lifestyle. Howdy, everybody. This is Clay Connery, host of the Working Cows podcast, powered by the Global Egg Network, and very excited to be joined today by Tom Kravitz. Tom is a rancher from Athabasca, Alberta, Canada. He's about a thousand miles uh, northwest of me here in western South Dakota and has been having some good success and doing some exciting things there in Alberta. And so, uh, Wanted to talk to him. Uh, he's been on my radar for a long time, but recently has released a book called Ranching Like a 12-Year-Old. And uh, very good read, very uh, practical insights, very paradigm-challenging insights. And I'm looking forward to talking to him about some of the uh, ways that he thinks about the grass management side of things, specifically today. Uh, he's a wealth of information and a wealth of knowledge and got a lot of data to back up. Uh, his own practical experience and the the statements and claims that he makes in his book. So I do also want to uh, share with you some very cool content that uh, Bob Havard has been capturing as he is on a trip through South America, visiting uh, some herds in South America that are running some, uh, I think in, in England they would call them native Angus cattle, some cattle that have uh, been there and haven't been tampered with a lot and running them at some pretty impressive scales. So uh, stick around after the episode and I will drop a couple of those in as well today and give you an opportunity to hear some of what Bob has been capturing. Tom, thanks for joining me today on the Working Cows podcast. Very happy to be here. I'm uh, glad that you got around to write, reading my book. Yeah. Yeah. We had sat down once before and I didn't realize I had the PDF copy of the book. And it's, so I was glad to be able to read it. Uh, yeah. So you are uh, the author of a, a new book called Ranching Like a 12-Year-Old. And I really appreciate uh, the concept and the and the title and kind of the just the way the whole book is written. And so I, I guess I just want to give you an opportunity to kind of share uh, your your idea behind the title and, and the concept of the book and, and how you approached it? Well, it's uh, the title of the book just has uh, came from my way of thinking um, that I, I've been thinking about, about ranching like a 12 year old, at least 20 years. I I've had that thought in my head and I've talked to, you know, to uh, other people and I said, well, you got to do it. Everything you do, uh, ask yourself, can a 12 year old do this? And it was because of, um, uh, I had a couple of teenage girls that came, uh, you know, just for a farm visit, um, and they loved it. And next thing I know, they're, they're coming for the whole summer. Uh, I think we, they came four summers in a row and we just had so much fun. They were just a blast. And, but I did realize that for them to actually do things on the ranch, I had to get the, had to make it easy for them. And then what 
you know, everything that I did, uh, everything that I built, uh, every tool that I bought, the thought came was, can Heather and Tiffany uh, do this? You know, will they be able to lift this? Um, and even today, um, you know, 23 years later, of, uh, I still ask myself, can a 12-year-old do this? Everything that I do, everything. Mm. Um, and what I found was if a 12-year-old can do it, an 80-year-old can do it. Mm. Like I have a friend, um, we rented his, uh, his place when we were custom grazing. Uh, for, we rented it for three years uh, after his wife had died. And he just needed to get away. And so I set his place up the way that I set up our other uh, rented uh, land. And today, so he's what, he's 78 now. He's running um, 150 cows, uh, you know, about, no, 180 cows uh, by himself, less labor, enjoying it more than he did when he was in his 40, 40s running 80 cows. Hmm. Yeah. And he just right. stopped doing, he just stopped doing anything. Um, I think I actually talked about him a little bit in the book. Um, he stopped doing stuff that he didn't want to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, and uh, he goes away. His, his one daughter uh, is a chiropractor in Bahrain and he goes away uh, for the winter and he has his paddock set up uh, for bale grazing and his grandkids that still live around at the basket once a week, they go and open the gate. <laughs> And, and he's off in this winter, actually, he's going to uh, Panama uh, for the winter. And yeah. uh, I think he actually might have left already because it's starting to get cold. So, yeah, and it's, it's just that thinking of everything you do. Uh, ask yourself, can a 12-year-old do this? Yeah. And I, one thing I really appreciate that you talk about in the book is kind of you went to an HRM course and you, uh, you know, heard about the benefits of... <laughs> you know, different species on the land and started incorporating those different species on the land, but then kind of realized, you know, uh, this isn't ranching like a 12 year old. This is a lot of work. There's, you know, there was a lot of moving pieces and a lot of complexity and a lot of scheduling and all those things. So can you kind of talk about that experience? And then, and that was in the lead up to, you know, Tiffany and her friend coming right to, to, to the ranch before they came, you had, had all these this complexity and then after they came you're like we got to simplify this is that kind of how that worked uh, pretty much so uh like we were only i think they might have come the second year that we mm. start uh you know I, I i'm not sure if i mentioned it in the book but uh so it, we took uh, holistic management in january of uh, 2000 <clears throat> and that was before we we started doing uh, anything and you know we we're just like oh yeah it's gung ho and we took a marketing course and blah 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 and it was just like oh my gosh now we have to start doing it um yeah we had uh you know we were grazing 200 turkeys uh free range turkeys we had the laying hens we had uh we had a small flock of sheep we had uh, hogs and and then we had uh cattle as well a uh, cow calf um and we were in incredible shape but we were exhausted. We were absolutely exhausted. And it just like, Oh, what's going on here? Um, this is not what we, what we signed up for. Um, yeah. And then it was, yeah, I just, you know, it was when Heather and Tiffany came um, and it just like really opened my eyes. Okay. We got to do something different because 
it's not fun working your butt off all the time, all day long. Right. Um, yeah, you may have this badge of honor of how much work you do. And yeah, it may look awesome because it's, you're in such good shape, but it's not that much fun. Yeah. And so you, you kind of dive off in the book. Uh, I appreciate the glossary kind of being right there in the, in the front of the book, kind of how you def- you're defining your terms and some of those things, but then you go into your major headings and the first major heading is the grass and kind of talk to me about how you think about the grass and, and some of the things that you are uh, trying to accomplish uh, in your grass management. Okay. Um, Grass uh, became my first passion, uh, and I don't even know why, um, but it started with uh, holistic management. And then uh, once I read uh, Andre Vassin's book, uh, Grass Productivity, it was just like, it just lit me up. And like I, I, uh, I couldn't put the book down until I was finished. So I don't know why I have such a passion for grass, but uh, it has evolved um, actually quite a bit. Uh, you know, I started. I started following what uh, Wasim was uh, um, talking about in his book. You know, and uh, scraping the pasture. Uh, you know, and the leader follower. Um, and I started doing that, and I just saw in the long term it uh, it didn't really. It wasn't working. Um, and I, the big component was that uh, you can't sp- scrape your pastures. Uh, you have to have um, leave that uh, mm-hmm. residue there um, to protect the soil um, and have that armor. You know, uh, my, you know, Steve Kenyon. Um, yeah, yeah. Steve and I are are good friends, and we've been we've been friends. You know, I, I would say since two thousand, mm-hmm. um, and we live fairly close to each other, uh, you know, been on this journey, um, pretty much the same journey. Um, mm. And I love the way Steve talks about uh, building a home. So, you know, they need, they need a roof over their head. Yep. They need food. And I, when I say that, I'm talking about the, the bugs in the soil. And that's now that's where my, my mind really goes is um, what we have in the soil. What what is the healthy population uh, of biology in the soil? Um, now, for me, I'm not a uh, soil biologist. I'm not a scientist. So my metric is the how much uh, forage we're producing uh, and how much we're um, harvesting. I guess I producing, but uh, uh, I really mean how much uh, we harvest. Right. Uh, and that's my metric that I use and it's stock days uh, per acre. And, you know, I have um, 23 years of data uh, and it has really shown me where I have made mistakes and, and it has really got me to the point where I am now, you know, I, like uh, I talk about the grass um, and it all has to start there uh, because the ec- it's, it's the economic driver. Um, and if you skip that, if you skip those, you know, those, uh, the basic principles, um, and I, I talk about it in the book, uh, you know, more than once I talk about the graze period and the recovery period. And to me, those are, the, those are vital. 
And you have to get a handle on those two principles. And you can't violate either one of them. The problem is it takes about three years to get a handle on, to really understand, um, to understand the importance and how critical it is not to violate those two things. Um, like the, all the other things are great. Um, uh, you know, getting grass-fed genetics, uh, you know, getting better, um, you know, varieties in your, in your uh, sword. <clears throat> but you can't do that until you get those two principles. Otherwise, you're wasting your money. Right. In my opinion, in my opinion all this stuff, remember, I, I, I say you have to do this. Uh, that's just my opinion because I get told a lot by a lot of people I'm full of BS. So, uh, again, this is just my opinion. And take it what you will. Right. Uh, if if they're at the coffee shop, that's probably a badge of honor. But if they're at the Holistic Management Canada conference, then maybe it's a little different. But <laughs> as far as yeah. the people that are telling you you're full of BS, you know, <laughs> just de- depends on who's the one saying it. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of holistic managers that have uh, <laughs> they have a little problem with it, with me and and uh, my recovery period. Uh, oh, sure. You know, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And. Um, but one thing about the my recovery period is, is I let the cattle tell, I let the livestock tell me. Right. Yeah. I think that's a, and yeah, we'll get into that. I don't want to leave that on the table, but I do want to, I, I do want to put your mind at ease because I think you said in the book that you were the only one that was excited about Andre Voisin's book and uh, way back on episode 49 of the working cows podcast, Daniel Suarez from uh, Mexico referenced that book and it's been in the resources page at the working cows podcast website ever since. So uh, you're not cool. the only one, yeah. but, <laughs> but so it, it, in that book, does he talk more about um, kind of a um, ultra high density or, or taking, taking a, a larger percentage than you think works in your, your environment? Is that kind of what you were saying by scraping the pasture? Yes. It, it, the translation is uh you know because he's french the, the translation right. is actually in the book scraping the pasture mm-hmm. um so that's what i was doing and then you know you have your long recovery period but, right uh, in your part of the world that's two years or something <laughs> probably if you take that much your recovery period is going to be two years or no no wait no okay oh no no uh you know we're uh like at that at the latitude that i'm at right um, i'm just saying if you take that much as he says to take, I was just wondering if that oh, was okay. what the reality no, be more like between 40 and 45 days. Right. I see. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? I only did that f- for five years mm-hmm. and yeah, somewhere between three and five years, I realized, Ooh, this isn't working. Right. Um, did you feel I- like you were going backwards on, on your, um, above ground biomass or litter or whatever you want to say, were you going backwards in that regard or? Uh, no, I was, uh, standing still. I see. We were, I was not improving. Sure. Yep. And yeah, it's, it's, yes, I had still had fantastic, um, high quality grass, but the, the volume was not improving. Mm. You know, like, uh, you know, like what I stockpiled, sure. uh, for late fall grazing, the volume was not improving. And, uh, I saw that like by year three and then I just thought, okay, well, something's missing here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, you mentioned in the book, um, how you go about determining your recovery period. And I really, I think that's a, a great 
tool. Um, yeah. So just explain that. And do you think it's, it's pretty universal that those cows will determine that recovery period for you eventually? I mean, they're the, when they're coming back and, or, or graze period, sorry, determining your graze period. Sorry. That's what I'm talking about. The, that tool that you've mentioned for determining your graze period, as far as when the cows start to come back to that, uh, first day and, and pick through or graze again, regraze those, those <laughs> areas again. Do you think that that works pretty consistently? Have you seen it work in a lot of different environments? I've seen it every place that I've gone. Right. Um, yeah. And so I started out, um, I'm not sure if I talked about that in the book or not. I started out um, uh, custom grazing and then um, just a few things that happened. And then I ended up uh, uh, ranch managing, uh, you know, for the last, I don't think, kind of since 20, 2015, 2016. <clears throat> and yeah, any environment that I've been in, it holds true. Um, and yeah, like last year, you know, we, it's just, um, you know, I, I tested it again, uh, just by accident, uh, cause, um, I was, I was looking after a, a research pasture and <clears throat> we had amazing, uh, growth in the, in the spring. We had good moisture, you know, it was just, it was fantastic. And then, you know, it stopped raining and we had heat like I'd never seen before, like, uh, six weeks. Mm. Uh, I better not say six weeks, four weeks of, uh, you know, extreme heat for our area. And, um, you know, I ended up having to, I had a, pa a paddock at that research pasture that was um, mob grazing. And so I was moving every four hours and I did that for, uh, so this would have been like uh, late July. And it ended up being, I was there for about well, seven days. And day six, the cattle went back to the and stayed in the first paddock. Whereas in the start of the season, day three, they would have been, uh, right. Or, sorry. Day four, they would have been back in that first, in that first strip. Yeah. Can you kind of explain how it works and, and kind of the, do you, do you do it consistently? Do you do it every year or do you just kind of have i know that this is where we're at and we're going to go with that for now and if it if it looks different uh then then we'll then adjust yeah you bet. Uh, you know because like i said i have 23 years of data and you know i've been watching that um and so now i just if i'm unsure i will check uh but I have enough, um, uh, you know, I've seen enough that I can, I have a pretty good idea at, at right. what, you know, and I know that um, at our latitude, after the, you know, that first week of August, things really slow down. Just the, yeah. the day, the daylight hours, it's like a tipping point, you know, it's about August 7th at our, our latitude, there's that tipping point, and then things slow right down. Mm -hmm. uh, so then I know that, you know, I have to adjust just because I have done that, uh, enough times, um, you know, where I've tested, uh, tested my graze period using that, uh, that method. Yeah. And what is the method? Can you, can you kind of <laughs> walk through it? <laughs> well, I will try 
play uh the first time i did it what i did was i had a paddock um it was uh i figured about five days for that herd i think there was about 250 pair in that group and i figured they could last that paddock for um for five days and i was going to give them i gave them a strip uh every day okay and now the, the thing is with the water they had to come back to a solar water system so they had to go down an alley so first day they had um, their first strip okay second day they have their second strip but they had to walk through the first strip to get back to the water day three they have a new strip but they had to walk through paddock you know the first and the Two second days. strip mm-hmm. yep and then day four they had to walk back to the water again uh through three two and one down to the alley to the water well when they did that they, when they went for the water they stopped in paddock one Be, or not sorry i said paddock one i meant the strip one right because there was enough grass new growth there that they could take another bite yep and, and that's how you figure out okay so in at least at this point in the year we're dealing with the three or four day grace period and we're wanting to be moving on from or at least protecting that first strip by by the that time that's right and it's not just uh it's not just a three or four day it's you cannot go more than three days right because and that's where i'm really adamant about those two principles the grace period and the recovery period um most people have a handle on and have a grasp on the recovery period but they are lax on the graze period so that one day well how much grass are you there is getting injured you know right yep yeah no i i'm 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 with you <laughs> no i i think it's a i i think it's just a really practical tool um and i appreciate that and i like i said the whole the whole book is that way as far as just real practical and you know it's based on your your experience and b- based on your data and i think that's an important thing uh, that we should talk about and uh, anytime i can give a tip of the hat to troy bishop i'm i'm happy to do it uh, as far as his uh his he's always the one to promote the use of a a grazing spreadsheet or a uh, oh, yeah, you know <clears throat> yeah yeah so yeah. um talk talk a little bit about that the importance of graze planning and and some of those things as far as your system and how you how you make use of it um i'm actually not sure what to say about that clay i uh i i, I cannot manage grass without it um i don't know if that is that what you're looking yeah. for uh, well i mean it's, it's i think so, somebody it's such a basic thing Right. Somebody with your level of experience and still saying, I can't manage grass without it. I think that a lot of people will, I, and I think you even talk about it in the book, will depend on the grazer's eye, so to speak, uh, rather than than just, um, you know, using some of these other tools that maybe they think are too basic or whatever. You know, they're, they're, they're too simple to to work or uh, i'm more advanced than those tools are or whatever i think that sometimes people get those mentalities and they but the to hear guys like you and steve and troy and others talk about the importance of a grazing record spreadsheet 
I think should challenge everybody and say, okay, these guys are still using it year in, year out. Obviously, it's an important tool is all I'm getting at, I guess. It is. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't understand why people aren't doing it. Uh, I've, I've racked my brain trying to um, to understand and, and um, trying to encourage people to use it. Um, because honestly, I, I could not uh, manage the grass and get the results that I do without that my grazing chart. And so, you know, when um, I've, I've ran, uh, you know, a fair number of, uh, of cattle, uh, you know, for 20 some years and, you know, oftentimes I'll have like maybe six herds that I'm looking after. I can't keep that all in my head. And, you know, I will spend once a week, I will spend probably two hours updating my grazing turds because there's always changes. And then, um, have you, have you seen the aid memoir, uh, in, um, holistic management? It's a, a little booklet. I don't know if they still do it, but I got this aid memoir and, and, mm, um, mm. I should actually get another one because Page, I've used it so much the pages are falling apart. But, um, you know, it was developed, uh, Napoleon Barnapart uh, developed that, you know, with this campaign uh, going across Europe. Huh. And because what he, you know, he realized was that if one change happens here, it affects changes down the line. And so if you have, uh, you know, if you need to stockpile grass by, um, uh, you know, get grass clipped for stockpiling by August 7th and you make some a mistake, uh, you know, in, in uh, middle of June, that's going to affect your timing, uh, you know, for getting that, that uh, grass clipped. Well, you know that, you know, four weeks in advance, maybe five weeks in advance, you know, okay, so I got to, I, I got to readjust. And that's why I spend, uh, like I said, ice consistently spend uh, at least two hours a week updating grazing charts. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Some working on the business. <laughs> yeah. You bet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just, uh, uh, I, I, I could not get the, the fall and winter grazing uh, that I have been getting uh, consistently uh, without my grazing chart. Right. Well, and, and it, it, it's not just, um, not just quality either of or quantity, sorry, not just quantity of fall and winter's grazing. It's also quality, right? That, that I always look at that as we talk about first and second cutting hay, like second cutting hay is better than first cutting hay. Well, yeah. that fall grazing becomes basically your second cutting, right? You're, you're getting a higher nutrient content in that, in that uh, fall grazing because it's been grazed once before and had a chance to regrow. A lot of times it'll be, uh, twice it's right. grazed twice yeah. right um and yeah you know what i i remember uh when we were keeping cattle over the winter um you know i bought a lot of hay probably i don't know maybe three thousand uh round bales and i remember um i tested it all and weighed it and there was one old guy that i bought a bunch of hay from and his test was fantastic uh you know excellent quality maybe not dairy quality but it was just below dairy quality feed and i said oh this is 
you know, just amazing. And he said, well, I figure if you're going to make hay, you may as well make good hay. And that's how I feel about uh, stockpiling. Why stockpile crap? Yeah. Because then you're, you're limited on what you can, what, what uh, class of animal you can graze. And there's also, if they're eating poor quality uh, feed, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. You know, like you have a blizzard, uh, you know, and the temperature plummets and you got wind. Poor quality, uh, they're going to lose condition on poor quality uh, forage. Right. Whereas if it's high quality, it doesn't matter yeah. what they, you know, what, what comes at them from um, Mother Nature, uh, they can handle it. Yep. So you're a thousand miles northwest of me. And you are saying that you are um, many times grazing twice, uh, and that would be in the growing season, grazing twice through most of your paddocks in the growing season. Is that right? Yes. Basically, it's worked out consistently two and a half times. Hmm. So through the great growing season, yeah. and then on most of the stuff, I'll have one, uh, one grazing in the dormant season. So Jim Garrish's rule of thumb is, is one time per 10 inches of, of moisture. Where, where are you at on that 10 inches of rainfall or moisture? I, cause snow counts, <laughs> I suppose, but you're above that. I'm guessing one, one pass per 10 inches. So like here I'm 16 inches. So I'm one pass over the whole place in the growing season. And then if it was healthy, I would hit 60% of it a second time. I don't know. I, and I'm not going to go there uh, because the animals tell me. I see. The, anim the, the animals tell me how fast the grass is growing. I see. I'm just, it, it just is, I, I think that it's an indication of, of effective management that you're able to go two and a half times through there and on, you know, all things, whatever, taking into consideration the, the different, uh, years and, and different moistures and things like that. I'm just saying that seems like a good uh, indication of things being done well, that you can get two and a half times at your latitude because around in my neighborhood, in my zip code, even the best managers, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, or not the best, but it's, it would be highly abnormal is what I'm trying to say <laughs> uh, to, to get two and a half times. Yeah. And you know what? I can't answer that. Uh, but I, how many of those managers are letting their animals, uh, using their animals to tell them what their graze period is? Because hmm. that, then that translates into the actual recovery period. Because it's very easy to go, to go past. Um, here's something that happens. Uh, I hear lots of people, you know, they're, oh, well, I didn't, you know, it was too dry. And so I didn't get, you know, didn't get very good production. And they use that as a reason for why mm -hmm. they didn't get good production. And I said, then I start investigating, Oh, well, when did you start grazing? Um, you know, how long was your recovery period? And then I find out they let the grass get into stage three. Mm -hmm. And my experience, uh, again, going back to my grazing charts, uh, my grazing records, when I, the couple of times that I let grass get into stage three and then I regrazed it, I got 50% mm -hmm. regrowth. 
to what I get if I keep it in the sweet spot. Yeah. And keep it vegetated. So, you know, we, we look at, at it's, it's difficult to really uh, look at something and really see it, see the reason of why something's happening. Um, when, when our, our, our um, vision gets clouded, uh, you know, like in that, in that case, you know, our vision gets clouded by, by drought. Is it really the drought or is it, we let the grass get into stage three and it's done its job for the year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, again, I think that that is, uh, it's a paradigm challenge for me, the grazing <laughs> in the sweets, <laughs> the grazing in the sweet spot, you know? Um, well, Clay, I tell you what, um, I get a lot of pushback and, uh, I know a lot of people that, well, I know because they've told me right to my face um, and that I'm out to lunch on my thinking and that's fine. Um, again, I wrote the book and I wrote that section. Uh, this is what I do. Yeah. And I know what my production records uh, and the amount of stockpile grass um, that I have and the quality of it. Um, and this is how I do it. Right. But the, and the animals aren't going home hungry. They aren't going home skinny you know i mean they're going home in great great condition and they have gained well throughout the the season so i mean you can't really argue with the results is right the, the best grazing that the, like the best gains that i get are in late season grazing huh. because you know a lot of times it's second or third cut that they're they're grazing um and if they have high quality high volume they're packing on the pounds and I, I, I get, actually, I get giddy because I see them, they just butterball fat because, and they're gaining, like, that's, like I said, that's their best gaining. Whereas traditionally, oh, well, you know, the grass is petering out and, you know, it's mm -hmm. not good. Yeah. But why? You know, uh, we just assume, uh, often we assume that this is just the way things are, but that's, maybe not how they have to be. Yeah. They could absolutely they could be different. Yep. Okay. So we could move on. <laughs> and if, and we can if you want we to. We probably should because I, <laughs> I, I ramble on. Like you probably no, passion, no, passion no. in my voice. I get very excited about this because well uh, that's yeah. That's what yeah. we should be talking about <laughs> is the yeah. stuff that makes you passionate. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we could move on and we can if you want to, but I really think that there's some there's some um we can deliver some value here talking about this idea of grazing in the sweet spot. And, um, I guess, so how, what is, what is the approach? Um, how do you, how do you decide what your graze period is, what your recovery period is? We've talked about the graze period. Um, how do you make sure that you're getting over all the acres while they're still in stage two before they go is it's is it about starting early enough getting started early enough so that you can get around everything while it's in stage two um and clip it before it goes to stage three is that kind of where most people you have seen kind of miss the boat by starting too late most definitely you have to get out early and um you know you had mentioned jim garish um i remember reading his book um mig Mm -hmm. uh, I forget how many years, like a long time ago. And, you know, he discussed it or explained it very well uh, about, yeah, maybe you'll be out there too early uh, and you'll make a mistake, but you were feeding before. 
So just, and you know what, honestly, Clay, in the last 23 years, I've done it three times. I've got out too early, but it was, um, it turned out very good that I did get out too early. Uh, so then what happened was, you know, I got, I realized after, you know, about 10 days, oh, the grass is not coming on like I, you know, I thought it would go back to grazing, uh, to feeding, you know, for a week. Uh, but what happened was, uh, again, this is my experience. The grass is trying to um, make seed reproduce itself by June 21st, mm. the longest day of the year um, at this latitude. And if we have a cold, uh, you know, a cool spring where mm, things aren't, you know, really warming up and, and, you know, things aren't cranking, that grass, that forage still has that date in mind. So boy, once it warms up, it's just like comes on gangbusters, like, and it's just crazy how fast it grows. Uh, again, this is in my experience. And so those times that I did get out too early, uh, you know, have to go back um, feeding. When we started, uh, you know, back grazing, the grass was coming on so strong. It was just like, thank heavens, I got that stuff clipped. Otherwise, you know, I, I, I would have had a, a heck of a time trying to get all the grass clipped. Um, yeah, but one of the, like, uh, I apologize, I ramble on, but it no, is, no. You, uh, I'll, do, I'll do the best I can. Um, uh, yeah, so, you, you know, you have to get out early. Um, and every year, and I've been doing this for 23 years, every year I get, oh, Jesus, I'm like, this is too early. And I'm just like back and forth, back and forth. And I just, just do it. And yeah, and like I said, it's uh, it's not a big deal uh, if you don't. But it's critical. And in my opinion, your fall and winter grazing is dictated uh first week that you start grazing hmm. wow what and is that in in your at your latitude not that we're giving a recipe but just for a an understanding where is that what what date is that um or what kind of range is that usually i was uh fortunate to get uh 25 years of data uh records from um uh a doctor in town and so he gave me that probably maybe 18 years ago, those records of when he had two, uh, two numbers, but the one was when um, a quarter of the leaves were out on the poplar trees. Hmm. Okay. That range was from April 25th to May 25th mm-hmm. in the 25 years. And I tell you what, that sure gave me a lot of solace on those uh, late springs. Um, because, okay, you know, and then it, it also helped me in, uh, financial, uh, you know, planning in, in budgeting, um, because I had to give myself, uh, uh, you know, when I was making, uh, uh, lease payments on, on, you know, all the land that we rented, you know, I had to change when I had, um, my lease payments due, uh, you know, when my first payment, uh, because I realized there's. Yeah. A whole month, but there's a range. Cattle aren't going to be here yet sometimes. <laughs> exactly. And then I go, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go make some bad, uh, nasty phone, or not nasty phone calls. Some right. Suck, uncomfortable suck phone calls. Uncom- yeah, that's the word. Uncomfortable phone calls. So, um, yeah. And then the other thing is, 
um, so getting out early and then get going, clip and go, clip and go. Um, and I, I think I mentioned that a couple of times in the book is just clip and go. Right. And bigger paddocks early in the spring, um, and moving them, moving them shorter on shorter periods of grazer periods kind of is how you cover more ground, uh, earlier and faster. So you bet. Yeah. Right. Cause the grass just needs to get clipped. Right. And, um, I actually, I remember, um, uh, I had a, a flock. There must've been not a big flock. Like there's 350 ewes, uh, in that, you know, that, you know, so I go maybe, um, between five and 700 altogether with the lambs, mm-hmm. uh, start counting lambs when they're all over the place but anyways you know and, and i'm just you know going and looking wow are they really doing anything and then boy you get down on your hands and knees and you say oh yeah they're just taking a little tiny bite and that's all that grass needs is just that little tiny bite um and yeah and uh it's you know you don't have labor involved of uh, strip grazing um you get you get the job done what you need to get done without the labor and uh i don't know when i uh came up with that uh, observation but uh, boy it sure works yeah um, and it was a big it was a big paradigm shift for me to go from looking at the grass to mm-hmm. just looking at my at my grazing chart and because if you go and look at the grass like it looks like they have not uh, done anything you mm-hmm. know, or hardly done anything and mm-hmm. you should stay there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you stay there, you're screwed for the rest of the year. You're going to set it back. Well, you're not going to get your you're not going to get your stockpile grass because you're going to be you're going to let that grass get into uh, stage three, into the reproductive phase. Uh, mm-hmm. The grass I, I stop. The grass stops feeding the bugs, the the biology in the soil, and you know the it starts uh, putting those. Um, you know, the sugars up into the, up into the seed head. Yeah. I've, I've said a lot of times that grazing is as much about where you are not as it is where you are. Uh, like when you're, when you're, when you've got animals controlled in a, in a hot wire fence, um, it's, it's as much as about what you're, what the land that you're not impacting as it is the land that you are impacting. Like you're giving that that land an opportunity to you know to rest or whatever uh but now you're flipping that on me and saying yeah but we don't want to let that get ahead of us either so we need to make sure that we're getting around you know so like i said this this book was a paradigm challenge for me and and uh (laughs) it it's prodding me along not to be comfortable just taking my one pass a year and 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 letting it go because uh it i i see it and i see it in being done in an environment that most people would say you have a tougher environment than I do. So, um, I'm just, it's good. I appreciate the challenge. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, uh, you know, it's like, uh, we got to keep challenging ourselves, uh, you know, and in, in my opinion, anyways, and, um, even what I find the hardest for me, not for everybody, but for me, if there's somebody that I don't like and I'm listening to them and they just, they rub me the wrong way. They still have some good points, and it's hard for me to just okay, yeah, you, you may not like them, but listen to them, and and you could learn something. And yeah, I have a heck of time with that, but I, I remind myself. So what? You know, just listen, and uh, you may may get a gem. Yeah, 
Yep. No, you got to be willing to learn, um, even, uh, no matter who, who, no matter who it's from. So, okay. So we said that we would talk about your three passions and we've spent most of the hour talking about the first one and I don't want to do the others injustice. And that's kind of how these interviews go is that, uh, um, well, you could bring me on again. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> hey, before we leave the grass, uh, yep. Play. Um, what did you think about, uh, the chapter that I talk about the 13 paddocks, the power of 13, I think, is that, Yes, or the magic of thirteen. Magic thirteen. Oh yeah, the magic thirteen. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um. You know, I mean, it's it's interesting. Um. And I'm not sure. Again, (laughs) it's a paradigm challenge. (laughs) So, uh. But again, you can't argue with the results either. So, um. Talk a little bit about that. I guess explain explain kind of your thinking behind it, and then we will. maybe yeah i guess dive into that a little bit more but what kind of explain your thinking my my thinking of it was i came on it uh by luck uh because it it just it was luck and i want to say maybe six or seven years ago um you know take over this this one cell uh it was i forget exactly where it was but i took over this one cell there was 13 paddocks and i had my grazing chart and I just go through my grazing chart and, you know, first rotation. And I'm doing the second rotation, filling it out uh, ahead of time. And wow, this just works perfectly with, you know, my, my graze period. And so then I started doing some more investigating and um, it just happened. 13 paddocks. If you use your, the, the graze period, uh, that the livestock tell you it uh, what the proper graze period is. Thirteen paddocks somehow just works. Yeah, uh, I don't know what the math is. Uh, like if it's, I I don't know. Uh, I just know that it works. Yeah, and I tell you what, I wish I would have had that uh, knowledge twenty three years ago, because I had to come <laughs> by my recovery period by luck. Mm-hmm. I, I I'll tell you my first oh, reaction. Not, not not by luck, by uh, observation. Sorry, not by luck. Right. Yeah. I'll tell you my first reaction to it was that um, in a document I was reading from the NRCS in America, um, Natural Resource Conservation Service, uh, they had in there that if you wanted to be considered for. Uh, management intensive grazing you had to have at least 12 paddocks so i thought you know it's kind of funny that those two <laughs> so just the, that yeah you're you were eligible to be uh considered a management intensive grazing operation if you had at least 12 paddocks so that was kind of interesting to me okay. that the t- hey, 13 and the 12 so i get some free money yeah well <laughs> i told my wife you know all all that free money costs us is more expensive groceries right Anytime the government pr- prints money, toilet paper costs more. So that's all it oh, costs. I, yeah, Clay, I feel the same way. Uh, you know what? And then the strings that come with it. Yeah. Um, you know, and it just really, I, I've found I stay away from it because of the, um, it kind of puts a handcuffs on your management. Yeah. When, yeah, in my opinion. Anyways, we could. Yeah, we yeah. I think that, that I think that it it depends on your zip code. I think that some of your your whatever they are agents representatives 
are some of them are going to be more hands-on more involved and some of them are going to be less hands-on and less involved and if you have a more hands-on agent that might not be a real positive thing if they're trying to tell you when and where and how and why and all those things it could be kind of a that that'd be a challenging relationship so yeah <laughs> yeah so the, like uh getting back to the 13 paddocks uh you know so i i've um uh the the way that i was taught to figure out the um uh graze period was from um the what i learned in holistic management mm -hmm. but in that method uh and it's it's in a, the the booklet uh aid memoir and it explains it very well in there on how to do this uh, you start with your recovery period and now what I do is I start with my graze period and the 13 paddocks. And then I go and I use the aid memoir because sometimes, um, you know, well, not, not sometimes you don't always have 13 paddocks, you know, right. you, and a lot of times you'll have, you know, I I'm dealing with 18 or 20 paddocks, you know, in one cell for one herd, but I still, I cannot, um, violate the recovery period and if i don't use like the that um the template of 13 paddocks i will end up my recovery period becomes too long you know because in that case uh like with 13 paddocks you could say okay uh three days in each paddock 12 times three uh, you know 36 there you go 18 paddocks you can't do it Right. You know, some, some paddocks, you know, maybe three days, but other paddocks to maintain your recovery period, to keep grass in the sweet spot. Some paddocks are going to be maybe grazed one day, you know, and other, other others too. Um, so it's a little tricky, but the, like I said, the, I've had seven years of trying out this, uh, you know, testing this thing that I just stumbled upon and it works. Uh, I don't know how it works. I just know that it does. <laughs> those are good. I, I appreciate those uh, nuggets when we find them in life. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, very good. Um, yeah, I I guess I want to hear a little bit about, and maybe maybe it's just a sample, give people a taste so that uh, either we get you back on or they just go buy your book for themselves. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what they should do is just go to simplyranching.ca and buy my book. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. That's that's where we'll 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 wrap up. Um, is that in the in the book you've got QR codes and uh, you know people can write while they're reading the book, scan the QR code, go to and and it'll take you there, and and you can find uh, the video on the the subject that's being discussed. Yeah. So that's pretty, I've never seen that before. So that was a, I know, that was I'm a new one. <laughs> like I'm pretty proud of it and I'm pretty excited about it. I, um, um, okay. I'm not a professional videographer. Uh, and if you watch the videos, you probably notice that. However, I'm really happy, um, that I learned how to do it. And, uh, I got to put my, you know, my videos together, uh, and I love that my publisher suggested this idea uh, with the QR code. And it just like, oh, wow. Um, I think it's pretty cool because then, uh, well, apparently you read the book. 
Yep. And I, I assume that you watched a couple of videos anyways. It's right there. You know, I explain it, uh, you know, talk about it in the book, and then you can go right to the video. You know, I'm giving you a hard time. I'm just kidding. I know you read the book. Um, <laughs> Because you're a pastor, so why lie? Right? No, I, I read it cover to cover. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, I think it's pretty cool. And I have never seen it before. And uh, and I like it. So. <clears throat> like I said, it's <clears throat> very practical. The book is very practical. <laughs> and that's just another example of how practical it is with uh, the, the ability to just scan the QR code, go watch the video dealing with the exact thing that uh, you're reading. So if you're a visual learner, it can be helpful there to see it and and some of those things. So, uh, and you already gave us a website, simplyranching.ca. Uh, that'll be in the show notes page for today, workingcows.net slash 266, workingcows.net slash 266. And we will uh, have a link up there to simplyranching.ca. People can go there and get the book. Um, and People we, can go there and buy once and then buy often. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> buy early, buy often. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You give it to your friends. You should buy it, buy a couple to share. Yeah, with your friends. There you go. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was very good. And I, I appreciate, uh, appreciate the book, the, the work that went into it, um, and the, the effort that you put into it and, uh, looking forward to hearing, uh, back from listeners who have read it as well and, and what they gleaned from it. So, uh, oh, no, that sounds great with that, Tom, I think I will let you go, but I did want to, like I said, keep you around for about 10 more minutes. I want to talk to you a little bit about your dream mob of multi-species grazing and kind of what each one of those species is doing and, and how it works practically. So sure. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for your time today, Tom. I enjoyed it. I could tell that you read my book. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell, uh, Tom is a, a fun guy, enjoyable to uh, talk to and enjoyable to uh, to chat back and forth with and uh, really enjoyed that conversation. Looking forward to uh, future conversations with him. Uh, we covered uh, a portion of one chapter of his book. Uh, obviously, there is a lot there and a lot to be gleaned from that book, and I'd encourage you to go out and get your copy. SimplyRanching.ca is where you can go to get it, and the show notes page for today, WorkingCows.net slash 266 will be there uh, for you as well. Crop disease is present weeks before it can be seen with the naked eye, which means the wait and see spray approach you've always taken when scouting your fields is waiting too long. But Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility improves yield potential even in the absence of disease. Every bushel counts, so make sure you get everything you deserve this season with Veltima fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. As I said in the intro, I wanted to share with you these uh, interviews that Bob has been capturing. And so uh, really uh, enjoy this content that he has been sharing with me through uh, WhatsApp and, and just sending to me and wanted me to share it with you all. So uh, enjoy a couple of these interviews that he's captured. And, and if I get some more in the, new, in the near future, I'll send some more your way. Hi, Hi Arturo. Um, we're sat here in a coffee house in Mar del Plata, Argentina. Um, we've just had the most amazing 
three days looking around your 10,000 acre ranch and then we went to two 10,000 acre ranches yesterday. Um, I just wondered it'd be worth talking about why farming on the scale that you you do, why you've chosen to uh, farm with smaller cows and particularly using the native Angus lines that you use. Okay, good morning, Rob, and it has been a pleasure for us to have you here these uh, few days. I hope you finish your trip in a pleasant and fruitful uh, way. Well, regarding our, our ranching and our genetics, uh, I found uh, that uh, in order to make money, in our country, where we have such a variable uh, macroeconomics, um, we need to work on the basis of grass. Uh, whatever we, if we move away from gas, we start from grass. I said, we start losing money. I mean, be it corn or any any kind of ration that you give to cattle, it's going to reduce your profitability. Grass is by far the cheapest feed we can give to our cattle. <clears throat> As to make a comparison, uh, to produce one kilo of beef out of pastures and, and uh, I mean native and planted alfalfas, for example, uh, it costs 130 pesos, which is the local currency. If you uh, take your steer or your calf to a feedlot or a feed yard, uh, it, they will charge 350 pesos. So it's three, three to one. I mean, it's three times cheaper to produce one kilo of beef uh, on grass. That's great, Arturo. And you've been quite careful in the genetics you've chosen to get your 2,000 cows performing off grass. And can you talk a little bit about why you've chosen the genetics you have and what kind of cow size you're looking for in the long term? Well, uh, we, we, uh, we received from a family uh, inheritance a herd that has been closed for more than 30 years. And it was started with uh, very good small genetics. We are not very sure. Uh, in, in about 100 years ago or 80 years ago, because this ranch has been in the family for more than 120 years now, there uh, in all the region there was short-horn short horn cattle. That was what we had originally probably coming from Britain. So this has been uh, very, very slowly uh, absorbed by the Angus breed. So we have a very small cow, which is pretty much related to a Scottish type of cattle to the old type of Scottish cattle, not, not the modern uh, Scottish. So um, I would say that uh, 
the reason we want to have a, s a small cow are economical uh, because our indicator uh, of profitability is how many kilos we produce per hectare. That is, if we have small cows, uh, we will need less, less feed or less grass. We can put more cows per hectare, we can get more calves per hectare, and that, that's where our profit uh, will be. So we want to keep, keep this small cow as small as we can. Uh, we don't have in Argentina a, um, a, a very strong demand for a big animal in the, from the packers. Thank you, Arturo. That's brilliant. Um, it's been a real pleasure touring around with you and seeing your ranch, seeing how you develop the infrastructure, and it's going to be really exciting to hear and see how you develop the genetics and the grazing management over the next few years. Thank you very much. Oh, you're more than welcome. I enjoyed very much our visits in, in your ranch too in, in England, so look forward to continue our relationship. Hi, Clay. It's Rob Havard here, um, now in Uruguay, and I've had a fantastic visit today uh, to a 25,000-acre ranch running 5,000 head with old traditional Hereford genetics and some native Angus, old Scottish lines of Angus, smaller cows doing the job in a proper environment that's really testing the animals. Um, I'm here with uh, Juan Maria and his two daughters, and we're going to just... I was going to ask you, Juan Maria, um, why do you think a more moderate, smaller cow works on such a big scale? Because uh, a small cow or a medium, medium cow, traditional British cow, uh, have the time for pregnancy, uh, uh, breed a good calf, uh, and no problem with the variability of the, of the climate in this country. Veronica, we've been touring around the farm today, hearing about some of the history here. Um, could you just talk us through about how many bulls you sell each year and the kind of customers you have and what you're hoping to do for them? Yes, we uh, sell about 80 bulls per year. Uh, from Hereford um, and uh, Red and Black Angus with two or three years old. The ones uh, that are with three years old, they were used in the farm when they were two years old and uh, then we sell them with the three, when they get the three-year-old. Um, our customers are um, clients that they have between 400 and 2,000 hectares, and they are um, breeding producers that uh, they sell calves mostly. Some of them, maybe they get uh, the steers to the slaughterhouse, but mainly they are breeders. They, they, they sell the, the calves. And uh, they are mainly traditional, and they, they like to see the bulls in the place, uh, see them walk, see their temperament, 
and uh, they are not very fond of looking to the numbers to the uh, EBDs. Um, they 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 buy what they see, and they like to see these working animals in a tough environment doing the job for you here because you don't give the animals any extra feed or anything here, do you? No, um, it's uh, like in our history uh, is the in, in the farm's history is the the main production. Uh, it's been the selection of the animals by the environmental by the environment, and that's um, what we are fond of, and what the clients come and look for. Uh, yeah. Our 140 years of selection, and yeah. they know that what we are selling is what uh, they are having a, a very good profit because that bull will be uh, in a very good shape all year long. Okay, thanks. And um, Virginia, could you talk us through some of the genetics that you use here and the fact that you just find it amazing that you've had, is it right, you've had a bull sale here for 110 years using the same auctioneers and, and what that means for your family? Uh, yes, all the genetics here are very, as Veronica was saying, traditional t genetics, all the same type, in Angus, Scottish type, in uh, Hereford, British type, but we all look forward for the same uh, type of animal, but mainly what we look forward is a, a, an animal that looks after himself, mainly on its own, uh, because yeah. of the environment where, where they are. So that's a way that we have less trouble, less uh, um, human trouble and uh, less job to do because there are lots of things to do in a big ranch uh, as this one. And um, that's why we look forward for that genetics, which is the same type as um, our ancestors were looking forward since 140 years ago. So that's why the, the, the shape of the animals, uh, Hereford and Angus, it, it didn't, didn't change at all. So if you look for bulls uh, eight years ago, it's very similar to the ones that are currently now here in the ranch. Yeah, that was great to see the photographs you showed me earlier. So the, I got to see the pictures of these cows um, from the 1950s, from the 1960s and 70s and 80s. And what stood out was how these cows hadn't changed. These are still cows that are working in an environment. So why change something that works? You wouldn't want to change that. Um, Clay, it's been amazing to tour around the, this ranch today. I think it's been an example for me coming from the UK that in South America and particularly in Uruguay, they're ahead of the curve here. They're using efficient cows to produce beef um, with a great environment. The wildlife here is incredible. Stewardship of the land and to see the staff and the family all working together is absolutely fantastic. A real example for us. And I, I'd recommend anyone to come down here and see what's going on. Many thanks. As I said in the outro to last week's episode, um, we'll be on an elk hunting trip next week, but um, I'm recording a... Uh recording an episode early before I leave with Wally Olson and he's got a webinar coming up that he is uh, wanting to get the word out about and that webinar will deal specifically with uh, handling these market highs and 
setting yourself up to succeed uh, throughout the all of the different points that the market uh, turns that the market takes. So uh, we'll be talking to him about that and uh, getting the word out about that webinar that he has coming up with uh, his ranching.fyi venture that he is on with John Haskell and Cinnamon Linhart and some of those others out there. So uh, you won't be able to find it at workingcows.net. Uh, but you will be able to find it at globalagnetwork.com. And you can scroll about halfway down, find Featured This Week, click on the Working Cows Podcast logo, click on Podcast Episodes, and it should be right there posted and ready to go uh, first thing Monday morning. Uh, But that's where you can head to find it. And as always, uh, the best bet is to just subscribe in whatever podcast catcher you use, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts or uh, Stitcher or uh, iHeartRadio, wherever it is you're listening to podcasts, if you're subscribed, it'll be there for you uh, first thing when it releases. So go ahead and click that subscribe, follow button, whatever the name they're using this week is. It's always free, but go ahead and make use of that so that you won't miss an episode, even if it's not available at workingcows.net. So we'll see you again real soon with another episode of the Working Cows podcast. HPPD resistant weeds are on the rise and marching toward a field near you. But your cornfield doesn't need to be a battlefield. There's another way to defeat these weeds. Switch tactics with Verdict herbicide powered by Kixor herbicide technology. As a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide, it breaks resistance before the battle gets to your field. Help stop HPPD-resistant weeds with Verdict herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. We invite you to visit workingcows.net to subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher. You'll also find detailed show notes pages, resources from our guests, and the industry leaders who have influenced them. For more ideas on putting your cows to work for you in a more profitable way, tune in next week.